0: We are uh, continuing our series, as Colton mentioned, called Airplane Mode. And we wanted to uh, begin uh, 2018 uh, with a focus on disconnecting from the noise of the world, the noise around us, uh, so that we can more clearly hear the voice of God connect with God. And uh, if you've never put your phone in airplane mode before... Uh, It's an incredible thing. It actually disconnects all your notifications. You don't uh, hear the buzzes and your phone going off and vibrating and ringing. And uh, I had my phone, as I mentioned last week, my phone uh, stopped working for the entire month of December. And uh, once it stopped working, I wasn't really in a rush uh, to get it fixed. It was like this, this the vacation. It was like a staycation. I, I felt like I could escape from the world. And we want to intentionally do something like that uh, over these uh, weeks. Uh, we are uh, seven days in here on our uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you didn't begin with us last Monday, uh, that's totally fine. Uh, we would just invite you to join us now. And so uh, as you know, or some of you know if you are here last week, at 9.15 we're praying uh, before the service begins. And this morning we had about uh, 40 to 50 individuals uh, here before service praying together. A great time uh, in prayer together. And we want to invite everybody uh, to come and join us for that prayer time. If you've got young kids, bring your kids too. Uh, we'll all pray uh, together at 9.15. Uh, so last week we kind of talked about the reality that there is a God who speaks. And depending on who you are, you might be somewhere along the spectrum that you believe uh, that God doesn't speak at all. Uh, There are are Christians in this world that believe that God has ceased to speak, that the only way that He speaks today is through the Bible, through His Word. Uh, He spoke uh, before that uh, revealed His will to His disciples, His apostles. They recorded what God had said, and that book is sufficient for everything we would ever need to know about who God is, Uh, and uh, so he has ceased to speak in the way that he did. Uh, There's some of us that may believe that God does continue to speak, but only to a select few individuals, and uh, that have a special gifting to hear the voice of God. Uh, Some of you are over here that, you know, I believe that God does speak to lots of different people, but for whatever reason, he doesn't speak to me. And some of us are over here, where we have actually heard the voice of God. Uh, well, I actually argued last week uh, that I think all of you have probably heard the voice of God. You just didn't recognize it, uh, and you are beginning to recognize, if you're over here, that God is speaking to you, and you're growing in your understanding, your ability to hear God's voice in your life. And as we unplug and go into airplane mode over these 21 days, I am trusting and praying that you are going to hear God's voice. Encounter him in new and profound ways that are going to be transforming for your life. And as you do that, please continue to journal. I I invited last week for us to practice journaling even in conversational form. Just put, uh, you know, I I put M as my initials and then I write a prayer and I write G as God initials and then I write down what I sense him saying to me and I start journaling this conversation with God. It's been just a practice that I've been doing these last few months um, and it's been very uh, enriching and meaningful uh, for my relationship with God. In John ten, uh, we read this last week. It says, "The gatekeeper opens the gate. Uh, the gate, sorry, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name." And leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger; they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus promises that if we are followers of Jesus, if we are his sheep, and he is our shepherd, that we will hear his voice, and that we will recognize his voice. That we will run from voices that aren't his, uh, and we'll run towards him and follow him uh, because we're tuned in to his voice. And we talked, chatted last week about a conversation killer. And so when we're praying and we have a sense that God might be saying something to us, uh, often the the question we begin to ask, is that just me? Is that just something else? Is that just my own thoughts, my own feelings? Is that just fill in the blanks? Uh, And what happens is when we start to do that, we, we start to discredit the ways that God speaks and we shut down the conversation. And instead, I'm inviting us to instead ask the question, is that true? Is that true? You know, I've told you that, as we listen for the voice of God, that it's never just you. It's never just your own thoughts, like, that we are holistic beings, that like God uses our thoughts and our, our emotions and other people. It's, it's never just you. But this morning, I want to touch briefly on the fact that it's never just God. And so similar, last week we talked about tuning into a radio station that there's radio waves that are going on all the all the time all the way around us and what we need to do is tune into the station to hear God's voice but there's multiple radio stations there's multiple voices uh, that are actually going on in our world and it actually it reminds me of a story uh, with Lisa and I when we were when we had babies and there was Joel, and we had Luke, and they were... That's what's going on in our minds and our hearts most of the time. And God is trying to speak to us. And how do we actually move through the noise of voices? How do we recognize which voice is God, what voice is something else somebody else. And as I I was trying to tell the story, I couldn't even keep my thoughts straight there. Uh, Our first two boys, Joel's our oldest, Luke is our middle son. And I remember when we had Joel, uh, you know, this mother's intuition, if if you're a mom, you've experienced this, that, you know, when your baby cries in the night, like, you just, you have this ability to hear that voice. Uh, And if you were sleeping beside your husband, you also recognize that he has, the, he has this inability to hear the voice of the baby. Can I get an amen on that? And so you're like, how is he snoring? The baby is screaming, and I've been up three times, and he, he will not wake up. He just does not tune into the voice. And we can see that we can grow our ears our and our, our ability to connect to a certain voice, and mothers know this intuitively. And I actually experienced this when we had our second son, Luke. Uh, so, you know, when, when Joel was about two years old and Luke was a baby... Uh, we kind of made this deal that Joel became my kid and Luke became Lisa's kid uh, because Joel was still waking up uh, sometimes at night as well. And so uh, Joel would wake up and I actually tuned my ears at that point to hear uh, Joel's voice. And I would wake up to Joel's voice and Lisa would stay sleeping. And then Luke would scream and wake up and Lisa would wake up to Luke's voice and I would sleep right through Luke's voice. And it was just crazy how this happened that we were able to train our ears even when we were sleeping even when we didn't know uh, but we just naturally instinctively picked up on the voice of the one that we were supposed to be listening to i think this is a little bit of what jesus is talking about in john 10 that we grow in our ability to hear the voice of god that we can quickly and easily discern uh, what is god's voice and what is not his voice and so last week we talked about the voice of god uh, and i want to highlight four voices that often are going on in our minds and our hearts God is always trying to speak, and we highlighted last week also uh, that God's uh, norm is that he often speaks in a still, small voice, and you can recognize, as you hear the different voices behind that audio file there, uh, if there's a still, small voice in there, it's actually difficult uh, to discern uh, unless you're looking and listening for it, so God speaks. It's not the only radio wave, though. Uh, the scripture talks about one called the devil, Satan. He's referred to as the accuser, a condemner, a liar, a deceiver, a thief, who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And scripture also said he comes as an angel of light, which means that he often, when he speaks, it seems to make sense. That makes sense to me. That seems right. You know, if you think of when, when Satan came in the form of a servant, tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and he, he said, uh, you know, doesn't the... Fruit looked good? Well, it did look good. And he did say, if you eat the fruit, you will, you'll have an understanding of good and evil. And they ate it, and they did. And so it's not even that Satan told a whole lie. It's that he told a half lie. And that he presented himself in an understandable, uh, right-looking way. And some of us have actually become very tuned into this voice of accusation, this voice that accuses you, this voice that condemns you. You live under the weight of this accusation and this condemnation, or maybe you have a tendency to put others under that weight. And it seems right. You have the appropriate data to base those thoughts on. You know, it makes sense to me. You know, I'm not very good at that. I, I don't, uh, I'm not very lovable because of this, this person rejected me. And, and then we start to believe these lies about who we are. But those types of voices, that voice of accusation, that voice of condemnation is not the voice of Jesus. So we have to be able to identify when there's a thought in our heart or in our mind that might be understandable, it might make sense to us, but if it's making you feel less than who you are, if it's condemning you, if it's making you think less of others, more distrusting of others more distrusting of God, then we need to hold that voice, that thought, that sense captive and recognize that that is not the voice of God. It'll make sense in your mind, maybe, uh, because Satan's presenting himself as an angel of light to you, but you'll learn that that's not the voice of the Father. That's not the way uh, Jesus speaks or the message that he has for you or for us. The flesh there's this word uh, that the Apostle Paul uses often uh, in the New Testament, he talks about the flesh. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Throughout some of church history, this has been twisted into saying that the physical is sinful. You know, so Jesus is going to save us. The spirit is good. The physical is sinful. That's not what the flesh is talking about. The flesh is not saying that this world is sinful, that people uh, are are bad, that there's something, there is something wrong with them, it's called sin, but they're not, uh, their value has not been tainted. They're still as valuable as physical beings in the eyes of God. The flesh is referring to the part in our human nature that is opposed or rebellious to God's will in our life. It's not saying that we're incapable of doing good. It's not saying that we are not made in the image of God, because that is... Uh, I believe original blessing is greater than original curse, and we were first created in the image of God, and that is still true. But we reflect his image uh, in maybe some distorted ways as sin has distorted our lives. And so we have this fleshly part of us, this part that is opposed to God's will in our life. This is seen clearly with children. I do not have to teach my kids how to punch one another in the face. I never taught them that. Each one of them, all three of them, I swear, every single one of them learned on their own how to punch one another in the face. I didn't sit them down and say, okay, here's how you throw a right jab. It's really effective if you get them like right in the, in the chin or that uppercut. That'll, that's a killer. You, you'll get your brothers with that one. No, I never explained that to them. They just figured it all out on their own. But I did have to explain to them how to be loving, how to be generous, how to say I'm sorry, how to... Uh, work at their relationship with their brothers. And so one is inherently natural for us because of our sinful flesh or sinful nature that's rebellious to God's ways in our lives. Uh, The other one we have to grow and learn in. It has to be redeemed. This is the corruptible flesh that Paul talks about. And so we have this, this voice inherent in our being that is actually trying to avoid the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in our lives. And that's why Paul says to follow Jesus, you actually have to die to self. What's he saying? You have to die to your flesh. You have to die to that inherent desire to rebel against God. You're crucifying the desires of your sinful flesh to live under the rule and the reign of God, of Jesus in your life. So that's the the third voice, the flesh. The fourth voice is the world. When you combine the flesh with the voice of the enemy... And people get together to form families, to form communities, to form cities, to form businesses, to form governments. You start to have this systemic cultural voice that the Scripture refers to as the world. So again, sometimes we read Scripture, we think the world. You know, God obviously doesn't like the physical world. That's not what Scripture is saying. That the forces of this world, the systematic rebellion of this world, the cultural Messages of this world are also in opposition to God's will for our lives as individuals, but also for our lives as communities, cities, and nations. And so there's a worldly message that you don't even have to try and tune into. We talked about the noise of your phone, the noise of your TV. That worldly message is going on all of the time. So how do we discern the voice of God in our lives in the midst of these other voices? Well, I have a stool here. And uh, I kept the tag on it, uh, as you can see, because I'm planning on returning it uh, after I use it this morning. <laughs> uh, church budget cuts. <laughs> uh, so, was, would this stool hold my weight? It will, uh, because it has, three, it has three legs on the stool. And I want to propose that there's a three-legged test that we can use to actually helping discern what voice am I hearing in my heart and my mind? What am I sensing? Is that God's voice uh, or is it one of these other voices? And so uh, the first voice, you might be able to guess, uh, is the Bible. If you've been around SunWest for any length of time, you'll know that we come to the book, the Bible, every single week we gather it's because we believe that God's will, who God is, is primarily re- revealed to us in His written word. And this counteracts the voices of the world, the flesh, the devil, because these voices say that you are your own authority. You are your own authority. What you want is what you deserve. What you think is what you need. What you feel is what's right. If it feels good, do it. And what The Bible actually does say there's an authority beyond ourselves. There's a starting point for every single one of us. The primary way to hear God is the Bible, because as we read in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. We cannot actually trust as a starting point our own hearts. And so the Bible wrestles with us. The Bible forces us to ask some tough questions. The Bible, uh, the psalmist refers to the Bible as a lamp. The scripture as a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It gives us insight. It gives us direction. This guards us from the inclination to see ourselves and our own feelings or other people as the primary authority in our own lives. So when we have a sense that God is leading us, that God's speaking to us, uh, the first place we need to go to is the Bible. But the question, is it in the Bible, is not actually a helpful question. We'll get to that. Well, I'm going to expand on that in a minute. Uh, But not all Bible passages apply to all people at all times. Not everything its characters did is fair game for us today, like polygamy. We don't practice that. Not everything commanded by Moses is obeyed today, like public stonings. As far as I can remember, we have not yet done a public stoning at (laughs) SunWest. Are we being unbiblical? You know, Paul talks about greeting each other with a holy kiss. You know, other than Colton, I don't really do that. uh... (laughs) So we need to tempt what we hear, what we're sensing, according to the redemptive direction of Scripture. This is really critical, that the Bible actually points forward. The Bible is like a signpost, and it's pointing in a certain direction, and we can't ignore that direction. And so God speaks to us through Scripture in two different ways, universally to everyone, so God gave us the scripture for all people so that we would know God, that we would know uh, his way to salvation, we would know Jesus, the one who he sent. But personally, to individual people with specific messages for specific situations at specific times. In Matthew 4, 3-4, to it says, During that time the devil came and said to him, this is uh, the devil tempting Jesus, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, the strategy of Jesus when the devil came and tempted him was first to go to scripture. This is the Son of God that goes back to scripture. What has God said? What has God revealed? And this is my starting point of how I actually disarm and fight against a voice that is other than God. This is what the word says, this is what the Bible says. Now, in Scripture, we have the word, word, uh, which we understand as Scripture. It's it's the word logos in, in the Greek language, which our New Testament was written in. And logos refers to Scripture. So what God has revealed in the past... The word of God to everybody, Genesis to Revelation, to Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, so on and so on. That Logos is this word that's been revealed through history to us that becomes the standard, this foundation by which we base our lives. Logos also, as we see in the New Testament, reveals that Jesus is what the word, the written word, the historical word was pointing to all along. In John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's not describing the Bible, it's actually describing God's revelation of himself that became, that came most fully in the person of Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, it says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in, in uh, different ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we need to recognize first that the word becomes our starting point. But check this. Jesus uses the word. He says, well, this is what, this is what the word of God says. This is what the Bible says when, the, when Satan, when the devil comes to him, tempts him with another voice. And then... And then Jesus responds by saying, or this is what it says, sorry, in the following verses in verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt, uh, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So fascinating, Jesus counteracts the devil's attack with Scripture, then the devil comes back and uses what? Scripture. And the devil probably knows the Bible better than you do. And so although the the Bible becomes our starting point, it becomes an important part of discerning the voice of God, it is not sufficient in and of itself, When we read the word word in Scripture, sometimes it says logos, but the other word that it's using is the word rhema. Say rhema. Jesus says, the Scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But that word is the word rhema. Jesus is not saying Logos. And what is Rhema? Rhema rhema is the word of God to you personally, a specific message for a specific person at a specific time. You You do not know the Rhema of God by intellectually studying Scripture. And this is critical. Because often when we read that word, word, in Scripture, we think it's just referring to the Scriptures. And it can, but what Jesus is referring to is that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word, by every rhema, by every intimate encounter with God. Logos is not enough. God actually brings rhema along with logos and gives us a word of God, gives us a fresh encounter of God, a fresh understanding of God, And it's to us personally. And until God speaks to you personally, scripture you'll find will not be enough to stand up against the attacks of the enemy. I'm not downplaying the role of of the Bible. I love the Bible. I spent seven years of my life in school studying the Bible. I read it almost every day of my life. But the Bible is not the source of my life. God gave me the Bible to point me in the direction of the source of life. In John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus says to the Pharisees who knew the Bible better than you and me, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And one more quick Greek lesson, the word life there, there's two Greek words for life, bios and zoe. I've taught on this before, but uh, bios is like, We all have life in this room right now because we're all breathing. Right? Everybody's breathing. We're okay. Bios is survival. You're alive. Your heart is beating. Zoe is thriving. Zoe is this enriching, invigorating, fulfilling, I was made to live this life kind of life. And Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you Zoe. They give you this rich, satisfying life. But the Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to become really alive. Do you want to thrive or do you want to just survive? And so the Bible is the first leg in our stool. It's the primary filter that we use to, to recognize the voice of God. The Bible itself points to uh, the, word, the written word points to the living word, Jesus, and it's as we study the Scriptures, as we encounter God in the Scriptures, then it becomes not just a Logos, but a Rhema, not just something written historically, but something that God is actually speaking to me uh, today with. The second leg in our stool is the body of Christ, the church. It says in Scripture that where two or three are gathered in Christ's names, we have assurance of his presence. It says in Matthew 18, if you sense God's voice, we should ask, is it in line of scripture? Yes. But is it in line with, uh, the? is there confirmation in my faith community? And that faith community could look like, uh, you know, it could look like uh, a home group. It could look like, uh, you know, accountability group. It could look like our church community here on Sunday morning. It could look uh, like a lot of different things. But as I gather with other brothers and sisters who are following Jesus is what I'm sensing and what I'm feeling, uh, does that resonate with you? And so we discern that in the context of community because the Bible says we are the body of Christ together, not individually. And so we come together to form a body. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. If one part suffers, the whole body suffers. If one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. And so we see this picture in scripture that we come together as a collect, as a bunch of individuals to make a unit. And it's only together that we recognize, understand God's will for our life, and we can't do it in isolation. Because remember, the voice of the world, the voice of our flesh, the voice of the devil says, you don't need anybody. This is the mantra of our world today, individualism. It's about you. It's all about you. Whatever you want. Don't let somebody tell you what to do. And often our idea of community is, let's just gather around other people that are like me, that think like me, that act like me, that see things the way I see them. And Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I I love this verse. I I've gone back this verse through... You know, even back to college, this, this verse was really important to me. It talked about the importance of gathering with a group of uh, individuals so that we would sharpen one another. And I referred to even my best friends as these iron sharpening iron type of people in my life. Uh, but I've recognized in recent years that what's referred to in Proverbs twenty-seven 17 isn't just your best friends, but it's also those siblings in your family that you don't get along with super well. It's that cousin when they come over for dinner, a Christmas dinner that just annoys you and you're counting down the hours when this holiday season is going to be over so you get back to the privacy of your own home. Because what happens is when we are around people that annoy us a little bit, that don't think exactly like us, that see things from a different perspective, is that it sharpens us, it refines us, and it actually forces us to grapple and wrestle with God's will and God's voice in our life. So we come together in the messiness of community. Even this morning, uh, you know, we're praying about you know, church as family. That's a good picture. That's the picture that the scripture gives us, church is family, because it's messy. And it's not always easy. And we don't run into isolation. You know, the world, the, the flesh, the devil would say, you don't need them. They don't agree with you. They're not right. Just isolate yourself. But as soon as we isolate ourselves, We lose the capacity to actually discern God's will and His voice in our life. The third leg in the stool, the Holy Spirit. This is very different from the voice of the flesh, the voice of the world, and the voice of the devil. The devil, as I said, is referred to as an accuser, he's a condemner, he's a liar. But the voice of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is referred to as the advocate, the paraclete, the comforter, the one that comes along, the one that guides, the one that encourages and supports. He advocates for you. But often we fall into the the temptation of thinking that this means that the Holy Spirit must agree with me because he's advocating for me. You know the her, the Holy Spirit is there to encourage me and guide me, and we get caught in this polarization that either if it's the Holy Spirit he agrees with me and if if I'm sensing something that doesn 't agree with me it, must, it might not it might not be God, it must not be God and it reminds me of parenting again I come back to parenting a lot um, I have a son. I'm not going to name which son it was. Uh, if you know my kids, you could probably take an educated guess. But we were on our we were on our way to school last this last week, a couple of days ago. And my son says, uh, "Dad, carry my backpack." I said, "Nope." He's like, "Dad, carry my backpack." I said, "I said no," and I keep walking. He's like, he takes his backpack, drops it on the ground keeps walking, and I, and I just keep walking, and, I, and he's yelling behind me. He's like, Dad, I left my backpack back there. Yeah. And I just ignore him. He's like, Dad, I left my backpack back there. And then and all of a sudden, he's like screaming at the top. He's like, Dad, my backpack. And I turn around, and I said, then go get it. It's not my job to carry your backpack. And then, it, and then he starts screaming, and he says, Why do you hate me? (laughs) It's like everybody hates me. (laughs) And I stop and I grab and I say, I said to him, I was like, I don't hate you. And the fact that I won't carry your backpack does not mean I won't hate you. It just means the backpack's your responsibility. And I'm not going to take your responsibility for what you need to carry. And I won't tolerate untruth and we've we had this conversation with the specific son a few times the last few weeks that's convinced when it's convenient that I hate him uh nobody loves him and I said my love is not agreement in fact I love you too much to let you stay the same and I said I'm not going to tolerate untruth I'm not going to tolerate you saying that I hate you because that's not true and so I said to him tell me the truth Just just tell me the truth. You love me? (laughs) Say it like you mean it. (laughs) You love me. I was like, yeah, I love you. And I love you so much that I'm not going to allow you just to stay like the spoiled, rotten little kid. You're at, God's calling you to something more. It's my job to actually call you up. It's my job to call it the best in you. I'm not going to let you stay the same. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, I don't always just agree with you. I'm actually calling the best out of you. And when the voice comes to convict us, and this is, this is very important. We talk about condemnation. The devil comes to condemn it. The, the devil makes you feel crummy about yourself. It makes you, he makes you feel hopeless. He makes you feel like there's nothing that you can do. He questions your worth. But the Holy Spirit comes, and he challenges you as well, but he convicts you. And you will know the difference because one is calling you to be more. One is calling you to rise up. One is saying, I love you too much to let you just stay the same. And I'm not going to play this game of I only love you if I agree with you. Go pick up your own backpack. So John 14, 16 talks about that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as... he said, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you an, another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But this is the advocate. This is the Holy Spirit that convicts us, that calls us to more. And we need to learn to listen for that voice. So these are the three tests, the three points that we need to, when we're praying, be aware of. As we're wrestling with different voices, different senses, does this line up with Scripture? Does it line up with the redemptive direction of Scripture, what God has revealed in the past and what God has revealed to me uh, in Scripture? Does this voice line up with the community of faith that God has put me in? When I'm in these refining relationships of you know, people that agree with me and disagree with me, I trust them because we've all bent our knee to Jesus and he's, He reigns in our lives, and so I can actually trust these people with what I'm sensing and trust that they're going to refine me, and that through that I'm actually going to encounter and understand God's will more clearly in my life. The Holy Spirit. Do we recognize the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, that comes to guide? Yes, but also convict and challenge us and call us to more. Yet these three voices I don't think are enough. It's not enough to use a three-legged stool test I believe that the seat is an important aspect of discerning the Lord's voice. And because it is the seat that actually holds these uh, legs together. If we have a broken seat, if the seat was split in half, you'd say, that's not going to hold your weight. And I would... Whoa! Um... If it had four legs, it would be a little sturdier. Um, but the seat, I believe, is we could refer to as abiding. In John 15, it talks about the importance of abiding. Apart from me, you will bear no fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. Remain, and in fact, in John 15 it says, remain in my words. If you remain in, me, remain in my words, what do you think the word is there for word? Logos or rhema? Rhema. rhema. If you remain in that intimate, personal relationship, you will bear much fruit. And so let me ask you an abiding question. Do you abide in the word of God? Do you rest in the word of God? Do you... Uh, Allow God to write His written word on your heart and your mind. Are you so familiar with Scripture, because Scripture functions as this filter, and it's like this foundational base layer of when you have thoughts, you have, uh, you feel like there's a voice, and you're trying to discern what that is. the The Bible is an automatic filter to those voices, and are you abiding in the Word of God? And do you recognize that the Word of God points you to Jesus? Are we abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in the Logos, what he said, but also in the reign of what he continues to say through what he has said to us personally? Are you abiding in community? Are you someone that just runs when it's difficult, when it's not easy, when somebody is sharpening you and pushing you? Uh, You know, community encourages me. You know, this community has encouraged me greatly. This community has also really challenged me. Uh, You know, these last few months have been full of meetings for me, Meetings I'm just like, yeah, that was great. I feel encouraged. And then meetings that I feel challenged. Like I walk away, I'm just like, I'm wrestling. And those are way more valuable than maybe we assume they are because those things are forcing us to wrestle with what we're sensing, what we're feeling. It's refining us. It's sharpening us. It's helping us become the person that God's calling us to be. And it's also helping us clarify what God's voice is in our lives, what his will is in our lives. Because we're not called to be individuals. We're called to be part of a body, part of a family. Are you abiding with the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize that the, Jesus died and was resurrected and he went to the right hand of the Father? Why? So he could disappear? No, that so he could be ever present with you through his Spirit. Do you recognize that a Spirit is with you everywhere you go? Are you aware of his Spirit with you? Are you aware that the Spirit is always there comforting you, guiding you, but calling you to be more than what you currently are? Not in a way that's condemning or shamming, but in a way that's inspiring and hopeful and edifying. I believe that this 21 days of prayer is about abiding. I'm going to invite the, uh, the band up. Um, and you don't have to do the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's not like this, the, this is some magic formula or some magic pill Um, because it's not about the 21 days. It's about actually retraining ourselves to live with rhythms of abiding, to live with a dependency on God's word, with a dependency on God's faith community that he's put us in, with a dependency on his spirit, uh, and recognizing that as we do that together, that God leads, that God guides us, uh, and that God is going to uh, lead us into the future to be more than... Uh, we currently are uh, as individuals, but also corporately. Would you stand with me um, as we pray? Father, we uh, recognize that uh, listening to your voice and learning to hear your voice is not easy. It's not easy because it competes with other voices. It's not easy because we have this rebellious flesh that just tries to resist it. So Jesus, we just uh, ask that you would forgive us for the times that we ignore your voice in our lives, for the times that we buy into the uh, what the devil has said to us, what our flesh says, or what our world is saying to us. Lord, that we grab hold of those messages because they seem easier. They require less of us. But Lord, we recognize that those voices don't have life, that you are the bread of life, that you are living water. And Lord, you have created us not just to survive, to live a life and die one day, but you've actually created us to thrive, to experience your eternal life forever, but also today. And Jesus, we just ask that in these coming days, in these coming weeks, that you would uh, break through the noise in our world, that you would break through the noise in our families, that you would break through the noise in our workplaces, in our homes, in the privacy, and the isolation of our own thoughts, and that we would encounter the living God who created the heavens and the earth. This God who is so big and majestic, but yet so personal. So personal that he would choose to dwell within us with with your spirit. So Lord, give us discerning ears. And Lord, I pray very specifically right now that you would reveal to us where we have listened to voices that are not your own. As sheep, where we've entertained a voice that is not our good shepherds. That we would be humble, Lord, that we would be quick to acknowledge that, quick to repent of that. And Lord, quick to make things right with you. In Jesus' name. So, Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear you. That we would have a heart that knows you, not just knows your written word, what you said in the past, Lord, but knows you intimately today. We thank you that you're God that reveals himself to us today. But I pray for those in this room this morning that feel like they are far from you, that feel like you have gone quiet, that don't sense your presence in their life, Lord. I pray that you would invade uh, their world. Lord, I pray that they would be aware of your Spirit's presence in them, with them, guiding them and calling them. Lord, if we have blinders on our eyes would you move them in Jesus' name? If we have plugs in our ears, God, would you remove those in Jesus' name? If our hearts have grown hard because of disappointment, because of hurt, Lord, would you come by your spirit and soften it